Korea is used more harshly against people who are willing to show affection towards each other inside of here than it is for the actual prison rape. I've just seen it be used as like punishment. I, I've never seen a situation where the person who is considered the quote-unquote victim, they're not treated like the victim. They're pretty much treated like you did something wrong. Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in Indiana's prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. This week's episode is the start of our conversation about PREA, the Prison Rape Elimination Act. PREA was passed in 2003 with unanimous support from both parties in Congress. The stated purpose of the act was to, quote, provide for the analysis of the incidents and effects of prison rape in federal, state, and local institutions and to provide information, resources, recommendations, and funding to protect individuals from prison rape, unquote. Upon speaking to prisoners about their experiences with PREA, what we noticed was that the prisoners were often upset that the act's zero-tolerance policy also includes banning touch of any kind. We'll get into the history of PREA in our next episode, along with more commentary from prisoners on how, from their experience, PREA is implemented within prisons. But first, we wanted to share this conversation with Irene, who's a prisoner here in Indiana. Irene has had firsthand experiences with PREA, and we felt that sharing her story was an excellent way to start in on the topic of PREA. Here she is. PREA, from my understanding, stands for Prison Rape Elimination Act. As far as I know, it's it has done some good within the prison system. I have, over the years, witnessed it be abused by some of the women in unimaginable ways. Like, normally you would think that, you know, the prison system or the people inside the prison would be happy, like, yeah, okay, we got something that will stop, you know, the, the wrongdoings that happen so often inside of prisons, but... Okay, there's situations where the women, or I don't know how it, how the men operate, but let's just say there's two girls in a relationship and um, one wants to be moved away from the other and, you know, she doesn't know any other way to do it. So instead of asking the counselor to be moved, I've seen them use Priya. Like they'll pick up what's called our pound 80, it's our, our kids hotline and They'll pound AD and, and implement a PREA report that is, it, nine times out of ten, completely false. Like, nothing that they're saying is true, but being that it is, PREA is to be taken serious, they, they'll take the uh, report and investigate it. And, you know, they may even take the, the, the person to lock, the two people to lock. Like, at the other facility that I was housed at, uh, Rockville Correctional, I was housed there for 11 and a half years before moving to this facility. They, they're, when you Priya someone, they automatically take the two people to lock. Like if it's offender, offender Priya, they'll, they'll take both offenders to lock under investigation. And like if you're in a program or anything like that, that messes up everything for you while they're investigating. And a lot of the times they'll come out where, you know, the investigation is dropped and they'll just take both offenders and move one and make sure they're not housed together so there's no future issues but um, I don't know I just feel like in that sense it's 
it's awful. I know that anytime someone does PREA or pound 80 in order to implement a report of um, prison rape or abuse or harassment, I know that an investigation ensues, like, immediately. They, There's no, they don't waste time investigating any situations like that. Say, for instance, someone comes over here and they, they'll press pound 80 to do a PREA report. If the lady on the other end, which is our in, internal affairs, if she's here, I think she'll, she either sends a, um, a sergeant or a lieutenant over to talk with you right away. She'll ask if, like, if you feel like you're, you are in an immediate danger. And if that situation, if it's a situation where it's two offenders around each other, they come over right away. Like, they don't let time lapse in between talking to you and the time that you get on the phone. Someone comes right away, especially if they feel, if you feel like it's an emergency, they will come right away to vindicate the situation. They do like an extensive investigation. It's, it's different ways that they do things. Like if two offenders, if one offender or pre is another offender, they'll send a sergeant or a lieutenant over to talk to you. There's been times where an offender will count 80 and Priya, another offender, saying that inappropriate relationships is going on between an offender and an officer or an offender and a staff member. I don't know the exact timeline from the time they get that report to the time where they start investigating it, but I've been a victim of it before since I've been here. Like, I don't know exactly how long it took them to come and get me, but... I was sent a pass. I went back there to their secure housing unit where they locked people. She, like, asked me a couple of questions, and then, like, she put me in lock. Like, she put me in their lock-in unit for, I was there for maybe 36 days. And normally a situation like that is to eliminate anything that isn't supposed to be as far as sexual relationships, harassment, inappropriate behavior between staff and offender, or Whatever, stuff like that. Well, in my situation, honestly, and I'm not speaking from a a bitter point of view, but they you're not really treated like like it's for your safety that we're we're doing this. It's more like a we're gonna put you in here until you tell us something type of deal, or we're gonna put you in here until you talk type of situation. Somebody reported and said that I had an inappropriate relationship going on with another staff member. I'm not ex- I, I, I'm not sure exactly what was said, but I do know that I was taken back there. She asked me a couple of questions. She thought that someone who was on my JPay, or we have, uh, I don't know if you know about JPay, but we're allowed to um, send emails out and get emails back in. We're allowed to send pictures out, get pictures, send cards out, e-cards. We're allowed to utilize the computer. We're just not allowed to, like, do the Internet process. I guess whoever was the, – the friend of mine that was on my JPay, I, I don't know if she thought it was a staff member or what, but she told me that she was going to investigate it, and she was keeping me back there in lock until she finds whatever she was looking for. She ended up dropping the investigation, and they released me from lock, but with releasing me from lock, they put me over in a, a grace program where – I wasn't supposed to be. I had to file a classification appeal in order to get out of that program because it was like, well, since I couldn't get you on that, then I'm going to get you on this, you know. When I when they put me back there, I had someone call my family to tell my family I was in lock under investigation but not to worry. 
Well, when she dropped the investigation, she took that and, and wrote up the fact that someone used my phone line to tell my family I was in lock. She wrote me up on, like, almost the highest conduct report you can put somebody on just because I gave out my PIN number. Normally, that would be considered a minor conduct report. When she, when she put it on a higher one, I went to the screening officer, then the hearing, and at the hearing, the officer there ended up dropping it to a minor report because it, it was something that was minor. It's in our policy that, you know, if you give out your PIN number, it's considered a Class C, which is a minor write-up. Well, needless to say, they took me. I, she, When he dropped it to a minor report, I was thrown over there in the GRACE program, which GRACE is a program you're in when you cannot really function in open population. They put you back there, make you do this program to kind of like adjust your behavior. I hadn't been wrote up in years. I mean, no write-ups since I've gotten here. So me being over there, I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. This is a classy write-up. People don't come back here on misuse of phones, classy write-ups. So I had to file a classification appeal. And upon filing that appeal, the assistant superintendent looked over all the paperwork or whatever, and then she granted my appeal and let me out of the GRACE program. But it was just weird to me. Like, I can't help but feeling like, well, since it didn't turn out like how she felt or how she thought that it was going to turn out, well, let me hit you with this and try to knock you down with that and shoot this at you type of ordeal. It didn't break my spirits or anything, but it was just like, wow, like, all of this because of what? Like, I don't know. I don't know. In the midst of that, I ended up reporting to her a situation that did happen with me that I was kind of trying to keep to myself in fear that I would be retaliated against. The fact that the officer no longer worked here, I kind of kept it to myself. So when she investigated me about my JP account and someone being on my emails, I, I did tell her about an officer who had made sexual advances at me and had wrote sexual letters to me. But I explained to her that I did not reciprocate, and I did send those, both of his letters out to my attorney like in order to report it in that fashion because I didn't want to be retaliated against. Personally, I feel like it was a good thing I did it that way because upon her reporting the other allegation, I feel like I was retaliated against because of that, and that portion wasn't true. So what would have happened had I reported the real, what really happened, you know? I don't know. I just wanted out of here. I didn't want anything that was going to keep me here and. I specifically came to this prison in order to transition to a lower-level facility. I wanted to go to Madison to where I could then transition to work release and get a job and start making money because, I mean, after 15 years, I'm finally getting ready to be returned back to society, and I just wanted to start mm -hmm. doing things on my own. And I didn't want, at the very end, for things to just blow up in my face. So the real situation, the the situation that was a real Priya, I didn't report, you know, not not at the level of the facility that you would think someone would, but I sent the letter out to an attorney. I sent both his letters out to an attorney, and I reported it that way. The situation that didn't happen, that was reported, I was retaliated against on the, the false report, but on the real report, after she ran her investigation, she said, well, it can't be substantiated, so it, she was pretty much closing the investigation against the, the, the officer that 
with the situation that really happened. She pretty much closed it, saying that um, it couldn't be substantiated, but like not like we think you're lying, but we couldn't reach the guy, we couldn't reach anybody to prove whether or not it's true or false. So I don't know. It's just it's crazy. It's crazy. It's nothing like you would think. And I don't know if the men operate in the same way there, but here it's I've just seen it be used as like punishment. I I've never seen a situation where the person who is considered the quote unquote victim they're not treated like the victim. They're pretty much treated like you did something wrong. At that moment, in my mind, I was thinking, well, if you do this, and they take you, and they put you in lock under investigation to investigate it, because normally you go to lock under investigation. No one wants to go back there and be locked in a room, everything stripped from you, because you reported that something has happened, you know? It's almost like a trade-out. If you don't tell us exactly what happened, you're going to go back here and we'll put you in lock while, we're invest- while we investigate the situation. And in my mind, I'm thinking, God, I don't want to go back there. I want to go to Madison. I want out of this prison. That mixed with the fact that he pretty much, like, made it clear to me that at the stroke of a pen that everything could change for me. He could make it to where I won't go to a lower-level facility. All it would take is one major conduct report. A Class A or a Class B conduct report can stop you from any of that. So with with the threat of that hanging over my head and the fact that in my time of doing time, I've seen how it's easy for them to stick together, I just didn't, I didn't want to risk it. I didn't want to risk it. I didn't want to risk it. I was just, I was afraid that it would backfire, it would backfire on me and I would turn out to be the one that suffers from it. Oh, I don't know. Shortly after I uh, I sent the letters out to the attorney, which is so crazy because the attorney, like after about three months, I didn't hear anything from this attorney. I, I had my family calling this attorney, like, when she went to investigate me, she did, she told me that she did hear phone calls where I was having my brother contact the, an attorney about letters, and I told her, I said, well, that was about the situation that I didn't report. So she knew that I was telling the truth, but, like, shortly after I sent his letters out to an attorney, this officer ended up being fired for inappropriate behavior with another offender. So it's not like I was just saying this about him and it was a lie. This was, like... This, I guess this was his M.O. I don't know how long he had been working here because I didn't get here until September 28th of last year, and all of this happened in August, October, November. So I wasn't here long before he started making advances at me. I was still new to this facility, you know, not really knowing any of the officers, not really knowing, you know, whether or not he was lying, who he's connected to, who he's not connected to. He made it seem like the lady that does our classification, he made it seem like he and her were, like, really good friends and that he could either make it to where I could go to Madison faster or he could make it to where I don't go to Madison at all. So I'm like, no. So I just made sure I kept my mouth shut. But it ended up coming out 
in May, I ended up telling her, like, when she was investigating me about my JPay, I told her the only thing that has ever happened inappropriate at this facility is this guy that doesn't work here anymore. He did try to come on to me. He did write me letters, and I did report it, but I didn't report it to the facility. I sent the letters out to an attorney so that way I can have somebody have my back in case, in case it, it turned out like how he was threatening for it to turn out. I really, to be honest with you, a lot of the times when the girls are... You have one minute remaining. Thank you for using GTL. In other instances, I've seen it to where, like, if a situation is investigated, per se, a PREA for a staff against an offender or, or whatever... I've seen it to where they will investigate it and they will basically pretty much tell the offender, like, if you tell us everything, then you won't go to lock. You know, like, you tell us everything and you won't be in trouble type thing. But I've seen it to where if you, when they do tell everything, they, they're still, they still turn out in trouble. I've seen it to where women has used it as a means to try to collect money from the state. There's a, a situation in particular where there's an offender that's here. I don't know how long she's been here, but she had, she pretty much had oral sex with an officer twice. Each time that she did it, she spit his semen into toilet paper, like to save it. And after he left or whatever was he, he either went to another facility or he went to another job, whatever. She called our, our tips hotline and made it seem like, she, like, here I am, I'm just now coming forth with the situation because I was scared, but he made me do it. Like, I feel like, to me, that it was premeditated. You spit his semen in toilet paper twice and, and you saved it. So, to me, that is her way of trying to get money from the state, like, because she knows that, you know, a lawsuit can follow that, and she can get money behind doing that. So it just, overall, the facilities that I have done time at, which I've been at at both IWP, Indiana Women's Prison, and I've also spent 11 and a half years at Rockville Correctional Facility, I just really haven't not seen it be used in a way where it, it was implemented, it, you know, it, it just hasn't been used in a way that it was implemented. They make it seem as such on paper because two women, if they get caught having sex or whatever, they write it up on a 216 and they take their visits for six months. And I've seen them go harder on the sanctions on unauthorized relationships than they do on the unauthorized relationship between an offender and a staff, you know. Maybe the staff might get fired, but the offender and the offender may go to lock or whatever, but they're not losing their visits for six months, and they're not losing their out day and their credit class and not able to get into a time cut for six months and having a major conduct report put on them, whereas if two offenders, let's just say they, they call themselves wanting to be in a relationship, if they get caught rubbing each other's back or one rubbing the other's leg, it's like they take it to the highest passivity, and they say that the reason they do is because of Priya. They say the reason they're so hard on these sanctions and so hard on the fact of no, this is a no-touch facility is because of the Priya. 
However, Priya is used more harshly against people who are willing to show affection towards each other inside of here than it is for the actual prison rape type of ordeal. I don't even know if I'm explaining this in the right sense, but they use Priya as, as a backdrop. Like if a girl takes another girl's hair and, and brush it out of her face, oh, if they want to be, if they want to take it to the highest extreme, that is considered Priya. I'm writing it on a 216. You're losing your visits for six months and you're going to lock and you're going to go into the grace program, whereas you report that this has happened between you and an officer or this has happened, you're going to lock for that and they're not going to take it to the highest extreme. And I'm sure there's other people who have situations that they've been through where if you don't do what another offender feel like you should be doing for them, and it doesn't even have to be in a sexual way. Like, one offender might want to show you a sexual or want to like you like that, and you don't like them. So instead of just taking it as, okay, she's not reciprocating, they could pound A to you and you'd be in trouble for something that you absolutely didn't even do. You know, women are, we're affectionate creatures by nature. So let's just say a, another woman, she could, these two women can be friends, not even look at each other in this sense. One of them got a bad phone call. She finds out something's going on with her kids, whatever. The other, she's just her friend, you know, natural reaction, because the other lady's bawling, crying. Natural reaction is to reach out and, you, you know, you hug. It's not like I'm hugging, rubbing my arms up and down her back or groping her, her behind, but you just hug in an affectionate way. They can take that as prayer. They will write you up, like, as if it was a sexual act and a lot of the times it sticks as if it's a sexual act. Upon making these stick, they'll say, well, this is a no-touch facility because Priya, so I'm not dropping this. Even if it's two people that has never, ever come across as the type that would even be like that with each other, they take it to the highest extreme, even if it's not a real Priya situation. But they'll use Priya as the backdrop. Well, because we have the Priya intact, you guys are not supposed to be touching each other at all. That's platonic. A hug to someone who's crying in a comforting way is strictly platonic, but they don't look at it like that. It could cause you to where you cannot get into any programs for six months. You can go to lock. You can lose your out day in your credit class for, like, showing just being human. Like, just being human. You can have all your clothes on. Be standing right there in the opening. They will do it and use Priya as the backdrop as the reason. I'm almost sure downtown don't really know all of the details when reviewing some of these conduct reports that's written where women are losing outdates and visits and all of this. One might brush another's hair out of their face or one's crying and she might give a, a hug. Like, you could tell the difference between a sexual hug and a hug of, oh, it's going to be okay. Those, you, you can't mistake the two. Adults know. Adults know the difference, but it's not being looked at like that. It isn't being looked at like that. I'm not even gonna lie. I, I was I was afraid of even bringing any of it up, but there's you kind of feel like there's a stigma on you, not so much as um, the officers on the lower level, but like since then, I my classification code keep changing back and forth, whereas. As soon as I filed my classification appeal and they ended up letting me out of grace, like shortly after 
the lady of classification changed my classification code from outside clearance to inside clearance, pretty much stopped, like, stopping me from being able to go to Madison. I ended up having to write and write another classification appeal and send it downtown. Like little stuff happened. Like though she she's giving me the job in the prison before I had surgery. I ended up having surgery on my shoulder. So right now I'm, I'm like considered medical idol where I don't have a job. But before then she's giving me the job in the prison. They try to put you in the living area. They have the the smallest ways of almost like a get back. It's, it's so crazy. That whole grace ordeal, I filed a classification to get out of there, but before my classification was approved, I had to spend two months back there. You, They have you on a schedule to where you, you're only allowed to use the restroom every two hours. The officers, a lot of the times, we only had two officers that actually followed that schedule. So there were times where I didn't get to use the bathroom for nine hours at a time. Another time, 11 hours at a t- after 11 hours, I was finally eventually able to go to the restroom because I was like, listen, I've not been to the restroom in 11 hours. I really have to go to the bathroom. Um, not able to shower, but every other day. Like, just the things that I had to go through even after the investigation was dropped was traumatic in itself. Like, yeah, I filed the classification pill and got out of Grace, but that two months back there in Grace, no wreck. I couldn't go outside at all. It was like a triple sanction. And, you know, when he dropped my CAB at the at my hearing, this man specifically, because it was an administrative conduct report, he specifically stated to me, I'm having a hard time dropping this because it's an administrative conduct report. So in order for him to drop it, I said, sir, it's in policy that this is just a classy write-up. I said, she can't fire you for following policy. I said, policy is put here so that we don't make up our own rules and just go about things however we feel like we want. That in itself let me know that things are just done a certain way, and it's not according to what's in paper, what's in black and white, or whatever. But him making that comment to me let me know right then that this it wasn't going to be an easy ride. It wasn't going to be an easy ride. A lot of times I just stayed asleep in order not to have conflict. I, I, it, it was just, it was, it's, it's, it was pretty traumatic because I was put under investigation. Not because I actually did anything, but because of a prior investigation was put out on me. And it wasn't put out on me like I'm the one that, that did the offending to an officer. It was put out as if an officer was offending me, but I, instead of being treated like the victim, I was treated like the villain. You see? Like, they don't look at it like, this is a, a we're going to stop rape in prison. We are completely against it. That is not how they come across. They come across like if, if you even look or even think, or if we think somebody is looking at you in any kind of way, you're going to pay for it. <laughs> that's how That's how it is. It's, isn't isn't it not a little much? Like, and you know what I did? I purposely saved every piece of paper, everything. Me having to write letters to explain, like, hey, uh, this is a Class C conduct report. I don't understand why I'm back here. Um, I don't understand why I'm I'm the one sitting in lock. If you feel like someone is trying to come on to me, someone at work, or why am I sitting back here, having to suffer? I, I save everything, and I always do. I always save. 
always save the paperwork just because I know that I'll have to eventually in the end have my own back. I had a brother that was given eight days to live. He's in home hospice in California. So instead of just dropping and not being able to talk to them, I wanted to let my sister know that, hey, look, I'm under investigation. Don't worry, because I knew that my brother-in-law would be asking about me. I had talked to them every single day. And while I was in lock under that investigation, you're not you're not allowed to go out and just use the phone or the JPay. You're restricted from any of that. So had I not told you have one minute remaining. Had I not made it to where someone was able to contact my family and tell them that, I would have just pretty much like just dropped off, like pretty much mm-hmm. just dropped off the face of the earth to them. And the whole time I'm back there on the investigation, while back there my brother ended up dying. I wasn't able to go through the emotions with them. I wasn't able to call and talk or say my goodbyes. And while I was back there in Grace fighting the classification appeal, they had the funeral. I wasn't able to go through any of that with them. So it it was like a, it's crazy. It's not, it's not normal. It's not how you would think. Yeah. It's not the hype that they have it up to be. It's not what's in black and white. It's not what they put on the paper. It's not. Thank you for using GTL. This has been KiteLine. Anyone affected by the prison system in any form is welcome to write us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. We are not responsible for all views expressed on the program. WFHB, its contributors, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the views expressed on the show. This has been KiteLine. Join us every Friday at 5.30 p.m. for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our communities. Thank you for listening.